Sponsor CBT Nuggets is IT training for IT professionals and anyone looking to build IT skills. If you want to make fully operational your networking, cloud, security, automation, or DevOps battle station, visit cbtnuggets.com slash cloud. That's cbtnuggets.com slash cloud. Welcome to Day 2 Cloud, and today we are talking Edge Cloud. Edge, is, is Edge a word? What does that mean? Is it hype? Is it buzz? Is it something different than just a little data center or, or what? Well, our guest, Alex Marcham, has written a book on this very topic. We're going to get into his take on what Edge infrastructure is all about, what Edge Cloud specifically is like, whether or not you should actually build such a thing, and what the use cases are. And Alex is a fountain of knowledge. Wouldn't you agree, Ned? I, I certainly would. I threw a lot of questions that may not have been in the script at him, and he performed admirably. He has a, a real breadth of knowledge across the entire topic around edge cloud and, and things that are adjacent to it, like 5G networking. We get into that a little bit and how it impacts networking with uh, edge cloud. So I, I think it was it was a very interesting conversation, and I just... <sighs> Man, my brain wants to fall out of my ears right now because it's just <laughs> yeah, <that's, laughs> so much stuff. <laughs> I, I know exactly why you say that. And in about two minutes, you will to strap in for this conversation with book author Alex Marchum. Understanding Infrastructure Edge Computing is his latest publication. Alex Marchum, welcome to Day Two Cloud, and and uh, you're here because you wrote a book, man. This is this is all on you. If you hadn't written this book, I, I don't know that you'd have to be doing this interview. But but here you are. You wrote a book. Tell us what this book title is and what it covers. All right, but first I got to do my author joke. What do you call a pedant who writes things down? An author. That's my favorite author joke. The only one I've got. <laughs> that's the only one I'm going to say. Um, so um, the book is called Understanding Infrastructure Edge Computing. Wrote it with the lovely people over at uh, Wiley. And essentially, this is focused on a specific tier of edge data center infrastructure. So this is focused on what I've been referring to over the past few years as the infrastructure edge, which is a tier of um, physical edge data center facilities anywhere from sort of, you know, 500 watts to 250 kilowatts. You know, think of the typical uh, shipping container kind of form factor edge data center that you've seen over the years. Mm -hmm. um, so concerned with that, what are the constraints? What are the benefits of such a form factor anywhere from vehicle mounted through to, you know, as we were talking about a minute ago, shipping container size? Um, what are the network characteristics that uh, make a particular site or location useful and uh, everything else in between? So uh, it was very fun to write and I hope it's enjoyable to read. So if I'm putting a data center in that container form factor, it's that's the context of what you're writing about through this thing. Yeah, and, and the various factors that you have to understand. You know, a big one in there for me is don't just put a data center in there and drop it in the middle of a field in Kansas because the network connectivity both on the front hall and the back hall part are really what makes those um, different deployments actually valuable. You know, so that's a, that's a big, big point of contention in the book. Okay. In the industry, we have a lot of fun with the term edge. What does that really mean? Um, edge cloud has been coming up a lot. Does this come under the heading of edge cloud? In a way, yeah. So so my, my personal definition of an edge cloud is a set of cloud services that are deployed in physical geographically distributed data center locations of which some of those could be these infrastructure edge data center facilities that the book talks about, if that makes sense. Well, yeah, yeah, if I'm, if I'm right, I've got a form factor that's this container, let's just call it. And if I'm serving up my infrastructure via cloudy methods, um, then yeah, sure, we've got, we've got edge cloud here. Yeah, uh, it's, it's one of those very, very imprecise terms, right? I mean, edge itself, as you as you just mentioned, is very wishy-washy in its own way. Cloud still is in a lot of ways too. So you put <laughs> the two together and you've got kind of a, you know, <laughs> a right. recipe for disaster, a recipe for uh, imprecise communication anyway. So yeah, I, I would put it anywhere from, you know, a, a set of data centers that are distributed perhaps on on a like a sub-regional level compared to what we look at from the major clouds today. You know, we're not talking US East, US West, maybe, you know, Chicago or St. Louis or, you know, Salt Lake City, that kind of level, down to, you know, potentially, because I live down here in Arizona, it could be like Phoenix, North, South, East, West, depending on how small exactly those data center facilities are going. But that's kind of my general cutoff point from what we think of today as like centralized cloud versus edge cloud. 
it all gets very confusing. <laughs> it, it does. <laughs> I, when I think of centralized cloud, I think of the big public cloud providers. So AWS, mm-hmm. Microsoft Azure, Google, they have these big regional data centers. Sometimes, I don't know, it's, you know, two or three data centers in each region, but still they're relatively close together and they're not situated to provide edge services. They're just mm-hmm. there because it's a convenient location that's close to a lot of networking, kind of like you said. So right. I guess the differentiator here for me is the size and locations of the data center. Uh, when you're talking about cloud, are you speaking of cloud in the operational context, like you're performing cloud type operations, as opposed to the way people usually think about the cloud, which is just some big data center that I don't own? Yeah, I'm thinking it more of it, it, the former, as you said, like the, the the kind of cloud services that would be provided on those distributed physical data centers. So I'm thinking what, what you said kind of brought to mind something interesting is, do you think of AWS as an edge cloud if they have a deployment in an edge data center down the street from you? Or do you think of an edge cloud as a specific kind of tailor only uh, edge facility level cloud, if you see what I mean? Well- Alex, I mean, it's a latency problem, isn't it? Couldn't couldn't we say if we wanted to come up with a metric, whether something is edge or not, it's more about how close it is to me as opposed to what, oh boy, it does get fuzzy, doesn't it? <laughs> but you see, it you does, see the point yeah. I'm making. If we yeah, use latency the, as a metric and it's close, then is that edge? Yeah, that's that's a lot of a lot of what I talk about in the in the book and what I was kind of getting at with the network connectivity piece there, because obviously from a from an access network standpoint, let's assume I'm in you know office building or residential building, I'm connecting to the internet or the data center or the cloud, whatever you want to call it, um, via some type of access network, right? Cable, mm-hmm. cellular, whatever. Um, at some point, that has to go to some location to provide interconnection. And then once it goes through that, I can get my traffic off into that cloud service of my choice. So if I have my edge data center and it's a mile from my house, but my access network runs it 100 miles west and then it trombones back, <laughs> right? It gets very complicated because physically we could look at it and say, well, that's close to me. So it's an edge data center. But by your latency definition, it would actually be worse than the current yeah. <laughs> regional or central data center, right? So, so unless you have those networks oh. running through that, edge data center, that infrastructure edge data center, whatever scale it is, then it's kind of kind of missed the boat, right? If you go by your latency definition. Maybe then trying to define edge so strictly is foolish. And what it, it, it comes back down to, as always, it depends. And in this case, it depends on use case. So so let's, uh-oh, well, uh-oh, Ned, I see you, you got your no. fingers up. <laughs> I, I think I want to go back to the latency thing that you're talking about, because I do think that's a useful metric, but you were thinking of it in terms of just you. And I think if we're going to define edge in terms of latency, then you need to measure the average latency to any endpoint within a given geographic region. So if mm-hmm. I'm looking at Chicago mm-hmm. and I'm testing the average latency from 16 different points in Chicago, as long as it's under one millisecond, maybe, or something like that, to reach one of my edge locations, then okay, I think that really does qualify as edge. It's that average latency. It's not just the one specific site compared to where I'm standing right now. Right. But even even in that case, um, you know, to see any improvement from your edge sites over, you know, the existing, you know, big, big, bad downtown, you know, data center site that's already there. um, (laughs) You've still got to have those access networks doing local breakout or or other interconnection in those edge facilities. Right. 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 Otherwise, you're you're always going to be tromboning back Mm -hmm. through the interconnection point. Right. Yeah. If my device is a cell phone, let's say, and that means I'm going to hit a cell tower, which is going to go to whatever exchange that cell carrier is using, which, like you said, might be 100 miles away. And then it might have to come back down to that big, bad data center and then out to the edge location. OK, that doesn't make any sense. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Which what is, we need to do is local breakout of some kind. It, it, exactly. And I bring that up just because that's what I, what I talk about a lot in this book is that's that's a lot of what I've seen in the market where people get a, a you know, container data center, put it in a car park and they say, right, that's that's that done. And you go, <laughs> well, not really, because, again, you know, to Ethan, if you go by your um, latency definition, you, you, you're actually performance negative versus the existing facility. <laughs> right. You, you can't make the same sort of scale um, savings that you can in a larger facility in terms of power, space, you know, that sort of thing. So you've got to assume that you'll be more expensive typically on a cost per kilowatt basis. So if you don't have the performance improvement, then it's kind of difficult to 
justify using it in many cases, right? Unless it's, there's some cases where that's not true, where, where it's kind of an extension of an on-prem data center. Like maybe you have an on-prem facility, um, like in a manufacturing center and you just need some, you know, 200 kilowatts of supplementary capacity and it's only for your local use from that facility. You can run some, you know, fiber and conduit across the car park. That's kind of one use case for those, but for the for the cloud discussion here, that doesn't really hold up, right? You need mm-hmm. multi, you need multi tenancy to be a real, uh, you know, public cloud. Well, I would say. So one of the edge clouds, speaking of multi tenancy, that I've seen, uh, one of those architectures I've seen put out there is really aimed at service providers. Hey, service providers, you're going to run an edge cloud. You're going to take this compute stack and using the vast resources of your huge network, you can put these stacks wherever you need them. Your tenants are going to come up because they've got compute. They want to run uh, low latency close to some set of users. Augmented reality comes up as a, mm-hmm. one of those fantastic future use cases. Gaming maybe being a little more realistic. Uh, w- would that, in your mind, be Edge Cloud? I think so, yeah, because you've got potentially both both elements, right? You've got a set of cloud services that can be deployed from geographically distributed physical data center locations, and you have the ability through the service provider network to deploy those locations across the network, ideally in places where they're able to do that access network breakout that we talked about. So you could do, you know, both of those, uh, both of those elements. So I, I would say so. I think it, it, it gets interesting when you talk about who's going to be providing it, because I do think, uh, and I know we, we <laughs> get about this a little bit later on, I'm sure, but it, it kind of gets to the point of, um, operational consistency for me. Mm. It's like in many places, you know, you've still already got the 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 in-house or the, or the local stuff that's kind of versus the cloud presence that the enterprise has. And then do you need another one? Like, do you need, you know, in-house versus cloud versus edge cloud all running different systems with IT desperately trying to keep them together? Operational kind of like, consistency. Okay. Yeah. You said consistency yeah. and my brain started fixating on that as like a distributed computing problem. But you mean literally operating this these different stacks and being able to keep ourselves sane as IT practitioners. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, how do you justify the spend on one of those versus the other, right? Then it gets kind of, gets interesting from a, a you know, IT manager or proposal standpoint then, right? Because you're already having the, do I do this in-house versus cloud discussion? If you add a third element to that, which is what do I do in edge cloud? I think it gets much more difficult to have those conversations if the edge cloud is not, treat it as an extension of your existing cloud, which is why I bring this up with your question of who should mm. who should offer the should offer the edge cloud. Like if I get my cloud services already from AWS and then let's say, you know, T Mobile, just to make up a name, is going to offer me some kind of edge cloud, is that going to be common enough for it to really be useful to me and provide that kind of consistency that I'm going to need, or is it going to just add additional headaches for me? Mm-hmm. You, you, you just made something click for me, Alex. You said extension of my existing cloud. That is, don't think of an edge cloud as an island that operates in this you know, place that's you know, latency close, however we want to define it. But it's got to be part of what I'm already doing, just picking up mm-hmm. the same compute we're familiar with and you know, moving it over, which... I don't know. So does uh, Outposts and whatever Azure Stack, whatever the local thing is there that they call it, is that Edge Cloud? Oh, now you're asking. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I I think it I think it gets really interesting when you start going into the specific implementations because you know there's, there's many different ways even within within AWS that you could do it. I think probably I would put local zones in the Edge Cloud bucket before I'd put uh, Outpost personally. Mm-hmm. I think Ned's Ned's mm. nodding. Um. <laughs> yeah, because the the local zones are still managed by AWS, whereas the outposts are kind of managed by you. So you you provide the the space, or you're going to work with like a colo to provide the space for AWS outposts, and then you kind of manage the hardware as opposed to local zones where it's just add another zone to my AWS deployment, and suddenly I've got four locations all in LA, and that's. That could be useful, but of course they don't have that across the country yet. Right, right. Yeah, it's. I mean, outpost and and local zone gets really interesting. Not to get too deep on the AWS uh, part itself, but you know, you, I, I could I could say from you know the standpoint of a co-location provider, I have a co-location facility. I run a data center. Um, I could have AWS deploy a local zone which they manage in that facility. In that same facility, I could have end customers deploy outposts in that facility that they manage um mm-hmm. <laughs> so it gets 
it gets well, a little bit complicated. And then you could have an on-ramp to AWS core locations in that same facility. So it's kind of, to me, it's, it's, that, that's a big part of making this operationally uh, useful and a, a big part of what I kind of go back to in the, in the book and a lot of the time when I talk about Edge in general is it's not as special as you think it is. Like it, <laughs> yeah. it, gets, it gets talked about like it's everything is completely different. It's not. You know, you, you're still going to use, you know, if you have your, you know, AS advertised in your Edge co-location provider, guess what? It still uses BGP to advertise it out of the same thing. If you have a rack of gear in there, it's going to be the same rack that you would deploy elsewhere, typically. You know, standard 19-inch rack, standard power density, all this kind of stuff. You know, there's various considerations you need to take account of, but it's not it's not magic. You know, I think so much of the, the press is it's this magic new thing and it's amazing and it's really not. You need okay, to just- you, okay. Well, you're saying something <laughs> I think a lot of us have been wondering or thinking. It's like, isn't Edge just like you put a data center in a special place that you need it to be for the performance characteristics of the workload you need them to be. Is it really that magical of a thing? Cause it, we have had edge consortiums and we had fog and we were talking before the show about mm. mist computing, all of these terms that are supposed to categorize some magical thing, but you're saying there is no magic, Alex. I mean, the magic is in terms of, to me, how you optimize the network connectivity, both on the front hall piece to the access networks and on the back hall piece to other data centers, other you know larger IXs back in the market and other markets to make the performance advantages of Edge actually real. I mean, the rest of it should be, and I think it should be standard as much as possible because if you're creating something from scratch, you should have a really good reason to do so, in my mm. opinion, um, especially something for potentially critical infrastructure. So, you know, in the ideal case for me, I think an Edge data center is basically a sized down version of a traditional data center with enough resiliency for the use cases that are going to be deployed there and a sensible set of network connectivity that lets you actually get lower latency than going back to the larger point in a market or an adjacent market. Apart from that, you know, from a facility design standpoint, you've got a few things like, hey, more focus on automation, more focus on, you know, unmanned operation and things like that. But again, those things aren't, they're not magic. You know, th- these are things that have been in, in process for a while. You can extend things that are occurring in larger data centers out to edge data centers, like more focus on automation, for example. Um, but it, it, I just find it sometimes gets treated like it's magic and, oh, you need edge networking. What is that? Oh, okay, it's layer two, uh, EVPN between sites or dark fiber between sites, depending on what you own. You know, BGP AS for the... Um, local set of edge data centers advertising that IP space out to the rest of the internet. It all looks very similar to what we already do in many ways from a overall IT standpoint. So I don't see the benefit of trying to trying to make something more complicated than it should be. <laughs> right. If, I, if, if I would find the magic anywhere, I would think it would be in the orchestration layer because the big difference for me between centralized cloud and this distributed edge problem is now I'm not just running my compute in one or two regions, I'm running it in a whole bunch of little edge locations. And so I need whatever platform I'm using to be able to orchestrate actions across all of those little locations and provide the resiliency and the networking between them as well. Like how, how do you think about that? And how do you tackle that orchestration problem with the software that's out there today? Yeah, no, that, that's a really good point, right? Uh, you're right. I do think there is a little bit of a divergence there. Um, purely because you've also got um, a couple of other um, dimensions, I suppose, to add on to that. You've got cost, and then you've also got physical location as well, adding on to, to what you were just saying. Um, I do think that that will be a little bit of the like secret source that the clouds are able to add to their own sort of edge cloud implementations, and that's kind of where I think they'll be able to differentiate a little bit between um, you know some of the the pure edge cloud plays that only have kind of perhaps more basic services and are focused on just one tier of infrastructure. Like if you're yeah. an AWS, for example, obviously I can't you know speak to anything they're doing, but if I was them and I was looking at what I had in terms of data center resources, I've got, you know, Hong Kong, great big data center. I've got kind of medium. I've got potentially these local zone locations. And crucially, I know what my customer workload is because I'm providing the workload service typically, right? It's S3 or it's something else or it's Lambda or whatever it is. Um, I have some intelligence as to what they need, what they're willing to pay for, you know, all those kinds of things. Um, so I do think there is a little bit of a gap there in terms of orchestration. And I think particularly between what you'd be able to do from kind of a closed cloud system, if, if you don't know if I can kind of tar the, the public clouds with that brush, you know, there's some parts <laughs> of it you don't get to see, right? 
mm-hmm. um, compared to some of the um, you know more open source or available stuff like um, you know uh, K8s that you might want to use. But um, did that answer what you were thinking, Ned, or is that just a ramble? I don't know. I I was waiting <laughs> to see if you would bring up Kubernetes. <laughs> <laughs> well, not, and here's Mission the thing: achieved. not just Kubernetes. Not just <laughs> Kubernetes, because obviously you're dealing with physical hardware here. And depending mm-hmm. on what how you're consuming that platform, maybe you really just want empty racks where you can put your own gear. Now you need something that can orchestrate from the bare metal all the way up. So that's mm-hmm. not going to be Kate's. That's got to be some additional stuff on top of it. Or if you're going through one of these other cloud providers who is managing the site and the hardware for you, you might just be spinning up a, a micro Kates cluster or a K3S cluster that's mm-hmm. going to to provide the services. Is there anything that's that's is there anything out there that scratches that bare metal itch uh, when it comes to you know fully provisioning and orchestrating a whole bunch of sites? Because I, I, I can't think of anything. Yeah, I mean I think that the first thing that comes to mind would be something again, kind of a you know, a a, a vendor system, you know, like something like like the likes of Packet have, you know, for example, that's kind of their secret source to orchestrate and set up bare metal. But in terms of something that that the that the enterprise could just kind of take and use, I must admit I'm kind of drawing a blank on that, really. I, that might be because my my typical um, focus on this at the moment is kind of as a as a co-location provider, how how would this best be supported, right? And in that case, it's mm-hmm. kind of like Okay, there's the assumption there that the the co-location facility provides, you know, a lot of the kind of kind of the DSIM um, elements to inform the user potentially of, you know, is there a power outage? Is there this? Is there that? Um, which kind of doesn't solve the problem that you're asking about. But I kind of think it's there's that piece for the physical infrastructure. There's the provisioning of the hardware from a kind of a an IT use case standpoint. I'm not saying this properly, but I hope you know what I mean. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there's the the ongoing orchestration, I think, of the services that operate on top of that infrastructure. That's kind of how I think about it. Does that match how you think about it? Or have I got this mixed Yeah, up? no, I think that's that's sort of the layer cake of things that needs to be provisioned to actually run whatever your cool new application is, whether it's, you know, some crazy AR thing or, or gaming or finance or, I don't know, healthcare. I, I feel like healthcare probably has something to play in there. Who knows? Mm-hmm. They're They're a giant industry. We pause the episode for a bit of training talk, training with CBT Nuggets. If you're a day two cloud listener, you are, you're listening to it right now, then you're probably the sort of person who likes to keep up your skills as am I. Now, here's the thing about cloud as I've dug into it over the last few years. It's the same as on-prem, but different. The networking is the same, but different due to all these operational constraints you don't expect. And just when you have your favorite way to set up your cloud environment, the cloud provider changes things or offers a new service that makes you rethink what you've already built. So how do you keep up with this? Training. And this is an ad for a training company. So what did you think I was going to say? Obviously training. And not just because sponsor CBT Nuggets wants your business, but also because training is how I've kept up with emerging technology over the decades. I believe in the power of smart instructors telling me all about the new tech so that I can walk into a conference room as a consultant or a project lead and confidently position a technology to business stakeholders and financial decision makers. So you want to be smarter about cloud? CBT Nuggets has a lot of offerings for you from absolute beginner material to courses covering AWS, Azure, and Google Cloud skills. Let's say you want to go narrow on a specific topic. Okay, well, there's a two-hour course on Azure security. Maybe you want to go big, wide. Alrighty, there's a 42-hour AWS certified SysOps administrator course and lots more cloud training offerings in the CBT Nuggets catalog. I gave you just a couple of examples to whet your appetite. In fact, CBT Nuggets is adding 40 hours of new content every week and they help you master your studies with available virtual labs and accountability coaching. Interested? Of course you are, so satisfy your curious mind by visiting cbtnuggets.com slash cloud and figure out if CBT Nuggets will work for your training with their seven days free trial. Just go do it. cbtnuggets.com slash cloud for seven days free. That's cbtnuggets.com slash cloud. And now back to the podcast I so rudely interrupted. Since we're talking about orchestration, uh, Alex, network and networking orchestration has lagged, uh, certainly. And, and part of it's just there's a, in this context, you're talking about plumbing the location network wise being very key to to having mm-hmm. it uh, offer you the performance profile that you're looking for. 
Well, there are services out there now that allow you to, depending on the colo that you're in, dynamically stand up a link so you can improve that locality and latency. Uh, Packet Fabric is a company that comes to mind where you can, via an API, basically call up a circuit. And as long as they're plumbed into the colo where you live, you can pay on demand and have that be part of your orchestration. Is that something you're, maybe not Packet Fabric uh, specifically, but just... Do you see that orchestrating network links as part of this? I I do, and I think I'd probably put Megaport and similar similar players in a in that kind of bucket, right? Where it's that kind of API driven network fabric that you can you can call on programmatically based on you know, various business challenges that you have at a particular time, right? I need an on ramp connection. I need this. I need that. Um, I do think those are a key part of this. I think it's it's interesting to again kind of separate the. The network services that I want to be able to provide from the kind of the raw underlying, you know, fiber connectivity between the sites, right? So I think you need to address both um, to really solve the challenge of whether or not an edge data center is going to be useful. You need to have the the right fiber physically terminating in, in that facility. And then you also need to have something like a packet fabric to provide the customer with the ability to provision the right connectivity from their deployment in that location to Which you know, is, down, so between out. that. And and BGP routing, if you're using internet as transport, it's not immediately obvious that what is geographically closer is closer. I live in the Northeast U.S. Chicago, which is about a thousand miles away from me, is actually closer by some definition than if I were to put a server and stand it up in a New York City data center. Um, mm-hmm. Just because of the vagaries of how the fiber is laid out coming from where I am to where I'm trying to go, uh, routing and so on. And so being able to stand up these links, it really does assume a lot about the physical fiber that underlies the connectivity between the two sites. Yeah, and that's that's something that's been really interesting to, to dig into over the years with the, the kind of general theory around um, the edge data center, right? As in, as we were talking about a minute ago, if you just put it in the car park next to your house, that doesn't necessarily mean your traffic is going to go right from there, right from your house to the data center and back. It's most likely going to loop back around. And when you actually look at how the fiber is laid, not just in the US, but but globally, like, it doesn't always go the way that you think it would. Um, yeah. In the US, you know, a lot of it still, if you go sort of east to west, follows a lot of the old um, train lines. Right. Mm-hmm. Yes. So a lot of it terminates yep. in like Denver and you think, OK, well, that's interesting. <laughs> you know, a lot of it is kind of influenced by where the submarine cables land and then, you know, kind of hubs like like you mentioned, Chicago. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I, I, I agree. Um, you're going to you're gonna have both elements in there. And I think that um, some of the some of the challenges that I've seen um, over the years with kind of edge data center is. Some people think that you only need, you know, that the packet fabrics or the megaports or the API driven kind of connectivity of the world. Um, but unless you have them riding on top of the right physical connectivity between the locations that you want. Um, yes, you may get bits delivered between the two locations and they may say, yep, it's all going, it's fine, it's great. But you need to know what path that's actually taking if you're running a you know latency sensitive use case that has driven you to look at edge cloud in the first place, right? Okay. All right. So we've spent half of what we typically spend in a day two cloud talking about definitions and what does a thing mean and a beaten up edge cloud and and so on. So let's get, let's get practical, Alex. If I'm an enterprise, why, what are the use cases uh, where I'm going to build my own edge cloud? That's, that's the thing that makes sense. Describe that for me. Yeah. So a lot of the use cases that I see that people are really going for are driven by either the need to process or store very large amounts of data in a very inexpensive or performance efficient fashion, if that makes sense. So the the example that I tend to look at is um, something like a manufacturing facility or other location that's going to generate, uh, for instance, Ned, you mentioned, you know, healthcare earlier to earlier, uh, earlier today, that was about three minutes ago, time flies, <laughs> we have fun. Uh, <laughs> but, you know, it's something like that that generates um, a lot of data that can benefit from being processed very quickly, is potentially very expensive to move over a large distance and may also have some kind of locality challenge as well. Like, for instance, a lot of healthcare information, for example, I think particularly over time is going to get more and more local in nature as individual localities, especially in the US, have you know different data sovereignty guidelines for different types of information at the state level or even the city level in some cases, right? Um, so that kind of gets to um, general category of inferencing, um, I think is a good candidate for an edge cloud use case. 
um, where you know you may not have the space or the expertise in running you know something like a, you know an Nvidia um, you know EGX deployment or a you know a DGX box that lets you just crunch through a lot of say image processing on a on a you know an uh, MRI scan for example. Um, you don't have the on in-house IT to do that in the building, so you want to do it somewhere close enough that is still going to meet your performance goals, and then you can you know shuttle the data back and forth over some short-haul fiber, probably in the same metro. That is the general use case and various sort of variations on that that my brain tends to go to. But there's other ones such as um, if you're a network operator actually building out some of the 5G network infrastructure that requires you know various latency targets between the RAN and the core network. But for the enterprise, I, I do think it's it's mostly around um, dense processing of large amounts of data, which kind of, to me, you know, generally goes back to inferencing again. It's not really well designed for long-term storage, I think, in many cases, because it might it might work as a handoff point for the cloud provider to then, you know, suck it up and take it back to a core location. But, you know, a 200 kilowatt data center is not going to be the best location for giant bulk data storage just because of the, the physical space it's got available, right? <laughs> Does that make sense? Are you guys seeing anything different or? Well, one thing implied in what you said is I don't just build this for fun. I, I am going to build an edge cloud because I have a specific uh, situation that I'm not going to be able to solve any other way. So I'm going to do this. It's not like a new way to do data centers and, hey, we're going to put a bunch of these little ones and scatter them around. It's not, it's more like I have a very specific IT problem I need to solve and this is a way to solve it. Yeah, that, that's a really good, that's a really good way to frame it. Thank you for that. that. That's how I think about it because every, you know, physical piece of equipment you you buy, every physical facility you're responsible for operating and monitoring, it's additional, again, operational complexity you've got to deal with. It's another check you've got to write, you know, what makes this better than doing it in an existing data center that you have or using an existing cloud or an existing colo provider? It has to provide something that you're not already getting, right? That's valuable enough to warrant you incurring that extra cost and complexity. And kind of just to, just to go back to something that uh, we were talking about earlier, should an enterprise build their own edge cloud? Frankly, I think unless you are one of the very largest um, you know, enterprises out there, you know, like a large bank or something like that, I really don't think it's worth it. I would personally point people more towards, you know, a, a co-location limited deployment in a edge facility or just the use of an edge cloud service and kind of burst to that as and when you need. Would you differentiate building your own edge cloud versus building some kind of edge infrastructure that maybe isn't cloudy as such? That's an interesting, interesting point. Um, I think it really comes back to really the value of the use case, right? And if the use case that you're trying to serve is yeah, let me let me think about that for a second because what what are you thinking of? Some kind of like purpose built, you know, data collection rack or something. If it's say, not cloud know. and I've got some uh, operational model that I'm used to, and I just want to throw a few racks of servers out there to host a bunch of compute for me, and I know how to do it, and it's fairly inexpensive, uh, relatively speaking, I could do it without mm -hmm. it being too big of a lift on my IT team. That's different from putting a let's call it a cloud-enabled stack or an automation-enabled stack together. That's fair. I, I think in that case, you've still got the, the the basic decision between, is it worth it to me to put this in a physical edge location where I'm going to be you know, constrained in terms of my price per kilowatt I'm able to get? Or am I flexible enough on performance that I can just deploy that in you know, the existing co-location facility, for example, that I'm already using? Um, I think in many ways, it's it's a very similar question whether mm -hmm. or not it's, it's cloud or not like the cloud part may change the complexity of deployment and then potentially the, the scale that you may be looking to go to but i think you've still got that that basic decision of you know uh, if you need to use edge i think you probably know you need to use it and if you don't need to use it you probably shouldn't i mean my, you know, my, my gut is just from working at a bunch of data center environments is i don't want another location unless there's just some reason i've exactly. got to have one i don't need another location to think about i don't want to have to think about the network interconnectivity i don't want to have to think about what broke in there today i don't want to have to think about remote hands uh etc yeah. unless uh, there's really one compelling re business reason to do it that's my instinct yeah. so yeah it, it, to me it's not something i would take on lightly at all 
Yeah, I think I think you you phrased it better than I did, and it's kind of the uh, how, how many throats, right? I've only <laughs> I've only got two hands, <laughs> so you know if I've already got my in-house IT, I've got I might have a co-location provider, I might have a cloud already. Do, do I need to add an an edge cloud? Can I do it through? If I need to have an edge location, can I do that either through my existing colo provider, where I can still call the same guy up and yell at him? Please do not yell at your mm-hmm. data center support staff. They try very hard. <laughs> or to, you know, my existing cloud, if they've got, you know, a deployment somewhere else, like that's kind of a middle ground, I think, where you've got a little bit of the flexibility of being able to deploy in an edge location, but you've still got some decrease in your operational complexity versus doing it yourself, if that makes sense. Uh, I would, my instinct would be to try to solve the kind of problems that edge is solving with better connectivity into my existing facilities. Is there mm-hmm. an IX in town that I can use to, to to solve this problem, get whoever the customer is I'm trying to talk to closer to me, uh, et cetera? That's, that's my gut. Yeah. And then it's like, no, nope, the only answer is you got to stand up a thing in this city and make it look like this. Oh, gosh, that's it just feels like a whole thing that I don't want to deal with if I don't, again, if I don't have to. Yeah, I think that's a really good angle to it because there are many cases when you when you you know you've, you've been in some of those large data center environments, you might have 200, 300 networks coming into that facility, mm. and would the one that is happened to be being used definitely be the best one? Probably not. Have you looked at it? <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> did you did someone in purchasing pick? You know, okay, this one's the cheapest per bit. You know, this is the speed that we need. Can you take out a circuit for less than the price of, you know, potentially managing and operating your own, you know, edge cloud deployment and get, you know, 20 milliseconds, 50 milliseconds less because you're rooting, but, you know, up to Minneapolis from Chicago rather than kind of going around and, mm-hmm. you know, taking a loop around. I think that's a really good point. So I, I want to get 20 or 50 milliseconds back. That's a lot. But anyway, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but that, for me, that brings up an interesting point because what, one thing we haven't discussed is the advent of 5G and all of the cellular providers that are out there, because mm-hmm. we keep talking about this big trombone effect and linking all these things together. And the obvious solution to me for that is local breakout of traffic, being able to, when it hits that cell tower, go, oh, well, this just goes to the next tower over. So I'm not going to like trombone it. Mm-hmm. Is that something we're going to see more of from, from 5G and, and, the, and the cellular companies? Uh, so I'm, I'm grinning at Ethan because uh, I've been I've been waiting to suggest a show on this specific topic because I spent <laughs> much time on this. But I can give you I can give you kind of that kind of the brief spiel is um, I think the the technology exists to do that. However, the cost and complexity of managing an exponentially larger number of network breakout points is really a difficult decision at the moment for the mobile operator to make. Right? Mm. If you think about what they actually have to do, they don't get that for free. Right. Um, so you have in 5G, you got the distinction between the 5G new radio RAN and then the 5G core. Right. And it's by definition, it's a very software defined distributed core network, but it still has to run on physical core network hardware that you put somewhere. Right. Right. So if I'm that network operator, I've got a choice between how how economical is it for me to deploy local breakout in 10 locations across the U.S. in large data centers that I'm already interconnecting in versus do I do it in 100,000, 10,000 locations out more towards these edge locations where the network infrastructure isn't there at the moment for interconnection. So who am I going to bring onto that network? Who's Who am I going to pull my traffic off to to save me money on backhaul? Um, and do I have the capability or the willingness at the moment to deploy and manage each one of those individual um user plane function packet session anchor instances throughout the country, right? So I think it's going to be a gradiated thing. I think you'll see some deployments where it's like, hey, we're going to go more regional than we currently are, where, you know, some of the providers may only have, you know, single digit kind of breakout locations at the moment, just because of how the 4G networks were run. So you could see that you could go to, you know, maybe 10 or 20 on kind of a, you know, regional basis, but going down to finer granularities, it's definitely possible. Um, I think it's really going to be a change over time to see how far they actually take that out to the edge, if that makes well, sense. Well, is it going to be a customer-driven thing? They got some big customer that says, I really want you to build between here and here for me. Yeah, I think I think that's a good way to look at it. I think it's going to be very customer and partner-driven. Like, let's say you're a mm-hmm. mobile operator who's a partner with a cloud. Um, if I'm, you know, cloud A and I'm working with service provider B, um, you know, I might say to them, well, look, you know, I'll deploy this, you know, local zone equivalent in your little edge data center out by the tower. 
then it becomes worth doing breakout in that location because I've got the ability to pull traffic directly on and off of that cloud at the tower, right? But just right. them doing it kind of by themselves and waiting for it to come, I'm dubious. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's, I, Verizon has a partnership with Microsoft to do private 5G mobile edge, but I think that also is going to be part of a larger push to just get Microsoft Azure gear in those powers, mm-hmm. and then that'll create the basis for this sort of distributed cloud that Microsoft is trying to envision. So yeah, I think you're right. The partner-driven or customer-driven is where we're going to see it. I have never really trust telcos to innovate on their own. Well, <laughs> I, I, I would say as I don't, I don't trust or expect people to spend money for things that they don't see a return from yet. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe I've been in the corporate world too long, but that's, um, that's how I tend to look at it, right? It's like if I'm, if I'm that service provider... Yeah, I could say that, hey, this enables Edge. Okay, well, what is the percentage of revenue that I'm really going to get from enabling it in these 10 locations by me deploying and operating this local breakout in my 5G core network in these 10 locations in St. Louis, for example? Um, if that doesn't pay me back, I ain't going to do it. Right. <laughs> right? right. So, as much as we would like them to, like I can read the standards all day long and I'm saying, just put it here. Put the packet session anchor here, please. Yeah, <laughs> somebody's got to write a check for it. So right, right, but they have the location, so if they can lease some of that location out to a partner and have the partner Very do all true. the heavy lifting, now they're making money by leasing their location without having to do all that technology stuff. There you <laughs> go. There you <laughs> go. Uh, you. Now we're thinking. Um, <laughs> another thing that I've been thinking through as a thought experiment, and I'm I'm curious to get your thoughts on it from an edge cloud perspective. Uh, we we tend to have this view of all the data flowing up to a centralized cloud. Like, yeah, we'll do some processing, but really it's all got to flow up to this central cloud. Is that is that a flawed way of thinking? Is it possible to just keep everything distributed at the edge cloud layer? Is that a, a model that would make sense to you? Yeah, I, I'm going to go back to my my typical, it's, it's become my new, it depends. It's, it's, it depends on the use case, <laughs> right? Because I, I think if you, if you think about kind of the inferencing example, I mean, let's, let's pick one of the common um, things that gets mentioned. Let's say, um, you know, collecting data from autonomous cars that are driving around the city, right? Let's say you've got a bunch of, uh, you know, 5G connected cars, all spooling data off onto the network. And then really, how much of that do you need to process, see if the sensor's gone haywire, versus how much do you really need to send overnight to the, you know, core data center? Mm-hmm. Um, it, you know, it starts to look very sort of 80-20, you know, 90-10 at that point. Um, <laughs> right. I do think there's a lot of use cases that you, that you point out where I frankly don't care about the data once it's been processed, or I only care about the result of the inference. I don't so much care about the raw data. Um, so in those cases, I think the usefulness of not the usefulness of, but kind of the, the percentage of um, data that's sent up to those core data centers is drastically reduced versus something where I'm going to collect every piece of data and store it forever. You know, if that makes if that answer makes sense, I think it's very use case dependent, and I think there's a lot of cases where the mass amount of data does not really leave the edge cloud, mm-hmm. and you just transmit you know any any errors, you know erroneous readings, you know things you want to do further training on or learning on up to, you know, the core data center. And then you pretty much discard the rest of it after a period of time at the edge, because that to me has always been one of the potential advantages of the model, right? If these are just kind of distributed, you know, catching locations for all the data, um, not as useful as if they can act on the data and your application can determine what data you actually need to store, because of course you're paying for all of this, right? Right. Um, So that, did that answer what you would, what you were thinking? Yeah, yeah, that's that's kind of where my mind is is at as well. Um, and, and in the long term, I think maybe you could see a step away from centralized uh, data centers. But there's always a sometimes there is a point to centralizing data for specific tasks. Oh, so yeah, yeah, I think there's. I don't think, and this is kind of we we, we were talking earlier about um, the way that I'd originally kind of looked at edge data center market and the way that I now look at it. Like I kind of looked at it first as. Well, all these applications are going to be kind of driven from data being generated at the edge. So it's kind of an edge to core workload model. Now mm. I kind of look at it as well. For the vast majority of things, we've figured out way to do figured out ways to do things in the in the core data center in the cloud. And then we will pull elements of that that need real-time response or real-time processing out to the edge. So I kind of look at it in that way that that I do think, as you said, there's always an advantage to having that centralized point, even if it's for coordination you know, ultimate data storage, um, workload management, and kind of treat each one of the edge nodes as kind of tethered off of that. That's kind of how I think about it at the moment. Um, Mm -hmm. 
rather than you know like a fully autonomous kind of edge cloud by itself that then has kind of a you know a bi-directional relationship to a, a core cloud if you will that makes sense yeah is the core cloud running kubernetes alex is that uh we we have to talk about it it's kubernetes where it's a cloud show we have to talk about it <laughs> so is that kind of the common denominator um or are we is there a broader scope that we're going to be considering I think I think I look at either either Kubernetes or any sort of cloud specific, you know, scheduling or management tool if my my public cloud demands that I use that. But yeah, th there's no real reason, in my opinion, a lot of the time to diverge. I've probably just irritated many thousands of people. <laughs> there's usually my usually no a uh, great reason I find in these use cases to diverge really significantly from Kubernetes. I think it should be treated as an ex extension of what you're already doing in your data center deployment and then hopefully build some location and cost awareness onto that over time to manage the, um, you know, the edge parts of that deployment, if that answered what you were thinking, Ethan. Yeah, yeah, you, you, you get into it. It's, we're seeing it as the kind of the common denominator. Kubernetes is either there right in your face and you're interacting with it directly, or there's some other layer on top of it, but it's Kubernetes underneath. It's mm -hmm. doesn't, it, I can't tell if we're still in the hype cycle and that's why we're seeing it everywhere and people are going to like wear out of uh, get just kind of get tired of Kubernetes and move on to something else. Or if it really is going to be part and parcel of how we deliver uh, applications for the long term. I'm, I'm not convinced either way yet because it really does seem like overkill. Like uh, like you, you know, it, it, for me, Kubernetes, I fire it up and it's it's a Rube Goldberg machine to accomplish a simple thing like, uh, you know, slice a vegetable when I could have just used a knife to slice the vegetable. Why did I why do I need all of this stuff? Sometimes I wonder. But th of course, there are valid answers to that question. And it does seem the co common way people are going. Yeah, I, I personally think it's it's likely the way that this is going to keep going, because I think a lot of the technologies that we now look at as having one defined use that we all understand how to use kind of started off as that more kind of toolkit approach. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, if you really, you know, you've, you've seen this, Ethan, if you read through a lot of the BGP specifications, you can use that for a lot of things. It'll wash the dishes. <laughs> on it 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 well. You know, you can use it as like a data store and you can do all this kind of, it's just like, but nobody uses it for that because over time it's just people gone, okay, this is what you actually need. And it kind of funnels down to click this button, do this, run it this way, and then fine. And a lot of the other kind of, you know, tools in the toolkit get kind of left behind because they're extraneous or that's what I, that's what I personally see happening with this. But, uh, Another question for you, Alex. Near the top of the show, we were talking about Edge, and you made the point, yeah, it's not really that special. It's just kind of a different flavor of what we've been doing for a long time. But there's all this hype in the industry around Edge such that there have been these consortiums and standards bodies and so on around that term. For folks that are considering a deployment of Edge Cloud, is there a consortium or standards group or something that they should be paying attention to? Yeah, so the, the best one that I've run into um, over the years of, of fiddling with this stuff is uh, LF Edge, the Linux Foundation's Edge uh, group. Um, there's a lot of good projects in there. I think Acrano's part of that, I believe. Um, a bunch of the other projects that that we've we've talked about um, in in previous shows that we've done, like the Glossary of Edge Computing, I contributed to. Um, a bunch of the things about how do we do we either need a new technology to address the the edge use case or can we utilize something else and kind of manipulate it to do what we need it to do? Um, I've always had pretty good conversations with all the different projects in the LF edge side of things. So that's where I would I would typically point people towards. I think there are a lot of, you know, industry consortiums and, and single vendor things from the likes. I get emails all the time about them and things that kind of look like consortiums, but kind of aren't when you look close enough and they're kind of just talking about the device side of edge computing or kind of a whole vendor's kind of portfolio, but not bringing in, you know, other voices or other kind of projects into it. So for my money, I think LF Edge is, is the best place for that. personally. Well, it's good to know that because it's good to know that there's some group that's not a waste of time or just trying to ride a trend or something like that. So Linux Foundation Edge is a group worth paying attention to. Very good. Alex, we've talked about a lot of stuff over the last 45 minutes. This has just felt like, you know, boom, a lot of rapid fire information. Um, pick out some some takeaways, some highlights from our conversation that you want to leave people with. Yeah, so I would I would kind of point back to a couple of the things that I talk about in, uh, in, in my book, which is uh, understanding infrastructure edge computing. Full title is Understanding Infrastructure Edge Computing Concepts, Technologies, and Considerations. There you go. My goodness. Um, but uh, <laughs> I had to make the subtitle longer than the actual title. <laughs> um, but 
I would say, you know, there's there's still not a great solid definition of what edge or edge cloud is. I would say identify exactly what you and the people that you're thinking about spending money with or, or asking for money for if you're trying to buy something for your IT business um, really are talking about. I would say that, you know, a good place to start is in the book. A lot of the discussion is about the different tiers of edge data center and related infrastructure that they have need to have to be useful. Um, I would say that, you know, Treat um, Edge and Edge Cloud, I think, as as commonly as possible, if that makes sense. Um, ideally, as an extension of your existing um, infrastructure choices that you've made, um, to avoid it being a you know a super sacred cow that you know nobody's nobody's allowed to touch and uh, ends up needing special care and feeding, and it's it's a whole you know it's a whole big thing that comes more trouble than it's worth. Um, and then I think I would also just as a last point point to especially with Edge Cloud and really any Edge data center deployment. Um, pay good attention to the network topology and specifically the interconnection locations for the networks that you actually need, uh, especially on the access side, which is not always easy to find, right? You can't just go and ask a, you know, a cell provider, hey, where do you do breakout? They won't typically respond to you very kindly. <laughs> um, but you know, if you're talking to you know, an edge cloud provider or an edge co-location provider or someone like that, or you're thinking of, hey, maybe this would be a good location for me to do this myself, um, definitely pay attention to that because the network piece is what's really going to determine whether or not you'll meet the performance benefits of your edge deployment. And if you're not going to meet them, why are you doing it? <laughs> so that's that's my that's my spiel. <laughs> Very good. Thank you for all of that, uh, all of your highlights, all of your thoughts here. And uh, that book, again, if you're listening and interested in this, Understanding Infrastructure Edge Computing, I just went up to Amazon and typed in Alex's name, Alex Marcham, and that was the first book that popped up uh, right there at the top of the Amazon list, along with other books that Alex has written and are available if you are so interested. Alex, final question to you. Do you have a blog, Twitter handle? How can people follow you on the internet? Oh, I need to keep my blog up to date, which I haven't done for a little while now, so I won't uh, I won't shame myself by revealing the address. But uh I am typically found on LinkedIn these days. I've managed to swear off almost all other social media. So, but I'm still a very, still a very nice person. I promise. So, just get in touch on LinkedIn if you want, and uh, happy to chat about anything. And your defense of, uh, in defense of your blog, I mean, dude, if you're writing books, how do you have time to blog, right? So, that's oh, come on, man. Well, Alex, thank you very much for appearing on Day 2 Cloud today. And virtual high fives to you for tuning in. If you have suggestions for future shows, Ned and I would love to hear them. Hit either of us up on Twitter at Day 2 Cloud Show or fill out the form on Ned's fancy website, nedinthecloud.com. And if you'd like to chat with other IT ops folks living the day in and day out technology life, join our community Slack group at packetpushers.net slash Slack. Read our three simple rules about how to be a good Slack member and then sign up. Everyone in the community is welcome, even, even vendors. Just obey the rules. Until then, just remember, cloud is what happens while IT is making other plans. Mm -hmm.